for those of you that are still in the room with us, if you want to go to Hebrews chapter 1, uh, if you don't have a Bible with you or you don't have a, a Bible on your device, there is one provided for you in the pew there in front of you. And so if you want to grab one of those, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 1. Uh, we started this last week, and uh, we're going to walk through the book of Hebrews over the next um, many weeks and months. And uh, we may take breaks as we go through um, this series, but uh, as I kind of unpacked for you last week, uh, the book of Hebrews was written to uh, a group of Jews, a group of Hebrews, uh, by an unknown person. We don't know who wrote it. Uh, there's a lot of speculation that it was Paul or Barnabas. Um, they know that there's some type of relationship with Paul. Some believe it was Apollo. Some believe it was Luke. Some believe it was Priscilla, uh, who also with Aquila, her husband, taught Apollos more of the way of Jesus. Apollos knew a little bit about Jesus, but they, uh, in Ephesus, helped him understand it a little bit more. And so we don't know exactly who wrote it, but we do know that it was written to a, a group of early church, first century Jews that had accepted the way of salvation. They turned their back on the, the Jewish tradition that they knew, and they accepted Christ, and they began to follow after him. But as we'll read later in Hebrews chapter 11, chapter 12, uh, they began to face persecution. Some of them were were tortured, some of them were killed, uh, and because of that, they were starting to second guess this decision that they made to follow after Jesus, and so this letter is written as an encouragement to them not to turn back, and it's such an um, amazing discourse or conversation about how supreme Jesus is. In fact, the theme, in my mind, of the book of Hebrews is Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Jesus is better than the prophets that we talked about last week. Jesus is better than the angels that we're going to talk about this week. Jesus is better than Moses or any man who'd ever lived. Jesus is better than any high priest who's ever served. He offers a better covenant. He offers a better sacrifice than any sacrifice that's ever been offered. Jesus is better. And it's important for us to understand that Jesus is better than anything else because if we don't settle that in our mind, we'll always be looking for something better. And we may not be Hebrews who are turning back to the old way of life, but we are constantly faced with the second guessing, with the questions, with the doubts. You know, I'm trying Jesus, but it's not working out like I thought it should. I'm not seeing the results that I think I should see. And so we also look for something better, as if Jesus is not enough. What Jesus has promised, the truth that's revealed to us in Scripture isn't enough. I need something else. I need, you know, the next thing that's out there. And we are constantly searching for something when everything we need is found in Jesus. Yep, see the pause there for dramatic effect and for you to say amen, which means so be it. Jesus is better, and we have to settle that in our hearts, literally settle it. It can't just be, yeah, I know Jesus is better. Jesus is better. When you face a circumstance that screams at you and says, Jesus is not better, you got to find something else. You, something within you deep has to roar up and say, Jesus is better. He's better. Now, all of us need some help, and all of us need uh, people, other people in our lives at times, and we need other uh, things in our lives that will encourage us and help us, but ultimately, Jesus is the source. He is better, and something else may put a Band-Aid on my problem for a little while, but Jesus is the only one that can take away my problem. 
who can deal a, a, a lasting solution in my lives. And so this is what they, they, the book of Hebrews is all about. But just like these early Hebrews, we hear Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. But when we try to put that into practice in our lives, sometimes it looks like this. Doesn't it? I mean, maybe not quite like that, but I don't know if you've ever tried that. Maybe if you go to James Valley Christian School, you got a math problem you don't know how to solve. Jesus is always the answer. Well, not on this question. But sometimes that's what life is like because we hear all the time, Jesus is the answer, Jesus is the answer. But when I put it into practice in my real life, sometimes it feels like this. Maybe not on this question. Let me tell you something. Jesus is always the answer, except in algebra or whatever that is. So, yeah, whatever that is. So, those of you that are in school probably know. But if you're in Hebrews chapter one, we're gonna read the, the chapter. We last week only went through the first three verses that talked about Jesus being better than the old covenant, than the prophets that spoke before. And we talked about how Jesus is literally God's final spoken word to us. Uh, we need to believe that Jesus or God still speaks to us today. We need to believe that God's word is how we learn to hear his voice and we need to be able to test what we hear with his word. And that's what we talked about last week. If you weren't here, you can go to the podcast. You can listen to it there. You can pick up a CD and listen to it there. But in Hebrews chapter one, we're gonna start with verse one. Again, it says, long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. Now in these final days, he's spoken to us through his son. God has promised everything to the son as an inheritance and through the son, he created the universe. The son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. He sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. So interesting. I almost tried to scroll my paper Bible just now. I cannot believe I just did that. Um, <laughs> wow. I can't believe I just told you that too. <laughs> Jesus is greater. All right, verse four. This shows that the son is far greater than the angels. Just as the name God gave him is greater than their names. For God never said to any angel what he said to Jesus. You are my son. Today I've become your father. God also said, I will be his father and he will be my son. And when he brought his supreme son into the world, God said, let all of God's angels worship him. Regarding the angels, he said, he sends his angels like the winds, his servants like flames of fire. But to the son, he says, your throne, O God, endures forever and ever. You rule with a scepter of justice. You love justice and hate evil. Therefore, O God, your God has anointed you, pouring out the oil of joy on you more than on anyone else. He also says to the son, in the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundation of the earth and made the heavens with your hands. They will perish, but you remain forever. They will wear out like old clothing. You will fold them up like a cloak and discard them like old clothing, but you are always the same. You will live forever. And God never said to any of the angels, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. Therefore, angels are only servant spirits that are sent to care for people who will inherit 
salvation. And so, Father, as we study your word together over these next few moments, I again ask that you'd open our hearts and minds to understand what it is you want us to see, what you want us to hear, what you want us to know today. And Holy Spirit, that you'd help us to take these words and to apply them to our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, Hebrews chapter one starts with this short resume of who Jesus is. He's God at creation. He sustains creation. He sustains all life. He reveals to us the nature of God, the character of God. He cleanses us from our sin through the cross. He brought us back into relationship with God and he is currently sitting in heaven right now at the right hand of God. He's sitting. Uh, I love that. I've heard sermons preached on the fact that Jesus is sitting. He's not standing. He's not wringing his hands. He's not pacing. He's sitting right at the right hand of the Father. And he is making intercession. He is reminding the Father, hey, my blood covers them. They have access to you. And then he sent his spirit to live inside of us, his representative that we talked about last week. And then this resume, as the writer says, shows us that Jesus is greater than the angels. Now, he talks about angels here in chapter one, and then he, he pauses almost, and he gives us a warning at the beginning of chapter two. And you gotta remember, this is a letter written, there were not chapters. I don't know if you've ever written an email and chapter and versed your email, but that's not what they did. Scholars later on, when they translated this to make it easier for us to talk about and to, to uh, teach about, added the scripture, or added the verse numbers and added the chapters where they thought. And so sometimes, the, you know, when there's a break, it may not be really a break in the thought and so you got to make sure that when you come to an end of a chapter that you read the next chapter just to make sure that you're not taking something completely out of context but he gives them a warning and Hebrews gives us a lot of warnings we'll talk about them and then he continues this uh, this talk about angels in chapter two but we're only going to look at chapter one today so next week we'll talk about that warning and then the following week for all you single ladies we're going to talk about the perfect man the perfect man. And I'm gonna spoil it for you now, it's Jesus, okay? So if you're looking for the perfect man, he ain't out there, it's Jesus. <laughs> but uh, now we're gonna talk about him and how he is so much better. But why start with angels? I mean, I don't know about you, I don't ever really think about angels or talk about angels, maybe you do, but we have to put ourselves in the context of these Hebrews, and the Hebrews did. Because not only were God's messages in the Old Testament sent to them by prophets, they were also sent by angels. And so they had heard the stories. Some of them maybe have encountered angels in their lives. And so he's starting, the writer starting with angels because sometimes we get a misunderstanding about them. And so he's correcting that, that these angels might be impressive, these angels might be powerful, but Jesus is far superior to the angels, and he lists off all these reasons. Now, in our society today, we have a different misconception of angels. Hollywood helps us with that. Maybe you've seen It's a Wonderful Life with the angel, the guy who dies and goes to heaven, and in order to earn his wings, he has to come back to earth and do something good, and uh, uh, there's other angels in the outfield that help that, uh, you know, the team, the, the California Angels win some games by supernaturally helping uh, the, the baseball players, and uh, sometimes we see pictures of them, the chubby guys with the arrow, you know, like Cupid with the little wings, and so what does the Bible say about angels? We're gonna talk a little bit about uh, angels, what the Bible says about them, what Hebrews chapter one says about them, and then we're gonna end uh, with some time of prayer for those of you that, again, are facing something that you need prayer for, because Jesus is greater. 
I mean, I'm gonna teach you about angels a little bit, but at the end of the day, um, Jesus is better. And so that's what we need to keep in mind. And so in the scripture, we know that angels are neither male nor female. They're created beings, but they're not humans. They're not like us. We know that the names of the archangels in scripture that we have record of are Michael and Gabriel. So they're given male names, but that does not mean they're male. Doesn't mean that they're female. Uh, we don't know that they have wings. The cherubim who surround the throne of God have wings, okay? But many times when people encountered angels and we're gonna talk about it, they didn't recognize them as angels. Now, I don't know about you, but I haven't seen a lot of people walking around with wings. So if I would have encountered a person with wings, I'd be like, oh, angel. Um, and so apparently not all angels have wings, but some maybe do. I doubt the cherubim that are described here in Isaiah and Ezekiel and Revelation are these chubby little pictures that we see, but uh, we have to understand that everything we, we think or hear in Hollywood, sometimes we think it's real. And we start processing things as real. You know, we think that sometimes when our, our loved ones die, like Clarence in It's a Wonderful Life, they become angels. No, they don't. They become people. People never become angels. And here's the thing. They don't come back and, and help us live because they're in the presence of Jesus now. And if you're in the presence of Jesus, he's all that matters because Jesus is better. And so they're not thinking about you and I, and it's not because they don't love us, but it's because Jesus is better. And when we get there, we're going to understand that too. And so these angels that are around the throne of God are just enamored by his presence. We're taught in the scripture that encounters with angels can be frightening, but not always. I mean, I've heard it taught that angels are always fearful, and whenever you see an angel, you always react in fear, not always. I mean, sometimes in scripture, there's fear, and sometimes there's not. So let's go to Joshua chapter 5. In Joshua chapter 5, Joshua's leading the children of Israel near the town of Jericho, and he looks up and he sees a man standing in front of him with a sword in his hand. So Joshua, not panicking, walks up to him and says, well, demands, so apparently he's not fearful, are you friend or foe? Neither one, he replied, I'm the commander of the Lord's army. Now, Apparently, Joshua sees something now that he didn't see before, and at this, he falls with his face to the ground in reverence, I'm at your command. What do you want your servant to do? And the commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. Joshua did as he was told. So he encounters this angel in some sense, and at first he's not any different than what we would think of another human being, but then there's something in that encounter that changes. In Daniel chapter six, we have the story of Daniel. Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel clearly tells Nebuchadnezzar, or King Darius, excuse me, that the, the angel of the Lord has come and closed the lion's mouths, but we're not told what Daniel's reaction was to that. Did he get scared? I mean, could you be more scared than being thrown into the den of lions? I don't know, but uh, having an angel come and shut the mouths of the lion would probably be less fearful than the lions themselves, I would think. Daniel chapter eight though, Gabriel, the archangel comes to speak to Daniel and Daniel falls on his face in fear. 
So we see fear there. In Genesis 18 and 19, Abraham has a conversation with men that were later told are angels, and yet there's no uh, bowing down in fear. There's reverence and hospitality that's shown to them. In Genesis chapter 32, a man wrestles with Jacob, that was just a man, but later on we're told that you know Jacob saw God face to face, and so in some ways, uh, scholars believe that that was actually a... Uh, an appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament before he came as a human being. He came and wrestled with Jacob and saw God face to face. Zechariah and Mary were frightened by the angel. Uh, the shepherds were frightened by the angel and then the host of angels that gathered around them at the birth of Jesus. And so um, some encounters uh, fearful, some not. In Revelation chapter 19, look at this response. The angel that John is speaking to says, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words that come from God. So then John falls down at his feet to worship him. But the angel says, no, don't worship me. Okay, don't worship me. I mean, I don't know about you, but if an angel appeared here today, we wouldn't be able to recognize whether it was angel or Jesus. And so maybe we would do the same thing or we would be so overwhelmed by that that we would tend to worship them and he says I'm a servant of God just like you and your brothers and sisters who testify about their faith in Jesus because what are angels literally an angel is a messenger of God they send messages so the angels are no different than you or I I mean their bodies are different their their abilities are different but they are just like us in the respect that they are servants of God who testify about Jesus Worship only God for the essence of prophecy is to give a clear witness of Jesus. Some people say that angels were really just for the Old Testament. Now that Jesus has come and Jesus is better, angels no longer minister on earth. Well, Acts chapter 12 disagrees with that because in Acts chapter 12, Peter's in prison and the church is praying for him at someone's home and an angel comes into his prison cell in the middle of the night, wakes him up, and Peter is not frightened. It doesn't say that he's frightened, but he follows this angel out of the prison, and Peter thinks he's seeing a vision, but when he gets outside of the prison, he realizes this isn't a vision. The angel's like delivering me, and then the angel disappears. And so Peter goes to the house where they're praying for him, knocks on the door, and the people inside don't even believe it's Peter. The girl's like, Peter's at the door. And they're like, no, 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 it's not Peter. And so finally, they, they're, they're like, okay, maybe it's his angel. Okay, I don't know what that means, <laughs> but, but there's not a whole lot in Scripture that teaches us what that means. But they're thinking maybe it's his angel, but it's really Peter. And so Peter's not frightened by that encounter, but somehow that angel comes and ministers to him and helps him. So many examples in the scripture, Hagar in the wilderness, Lot in Sodom, Moses and the Israelites. If you remember the story of Balaam, when Balaam tries to come and put a curse on the Israelites, the angel that stood in his way and then the donkey spoke to him, uh, that angel appeared to him. An angel appears to Gideon and to David and to Elijah and Elisha, to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the, in the fiery furnace. Um, Jesus, after his temptation, it's recorded in the Gospels, an angel comes to him to minister to him. An angel also comes to him while he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and strengthens him. Uh, there's an angel at the tomb when the disciples end up there. There's an angel at the ascension. When Jesus goes back up into heaven, the angel appears to the disciples and says, what are you doing here? Um, so angels still exist. They work on the earth. Hebrews chapter 13 later on tells us to entertain strangers, to show them hospitality, because sometimes you entertain angels 
without realizing it. And so sometimes we'll recognize it's an angel, and sometimes we may not recognize it's an angel. But we do know that angels are at work on the earth today. We also know that fallen angels that we commonly refer to as demons, who when Satan decided he wanted to be uh, an archangel above all archangels and sit at the right hand, or not sit at the right hand of God, sit on the throne of God and he tried to exalt himself, he was cast out of heaven and some of the angels fell with him. So somehow they have a choice to worship God, to not worship God, but uh, we, we know that they're on the earth, scripture teaches that, that they're at work. They do what God asks them to do. They do his bidding, as we'll see later on in Hebrews chapter one as well. But we should not worship them or even overemphasize them. You know, sometimes during special revival services or really good services, people started talking about angel dust. Great. Jesus is greater. Okay? Jesus is greater than any angel or any dust they leave behind. Jesus is our focus. Angels would be cool, an angelic visitation would be awesome, but just give me Jesus. Billy Graham wrote a book called Angels, God's Secret Agents, and so if you ever want to read up more on angels, um, I, I would recommend his book to you, but in that book, he talks about a story of a missionary named John Pollock. You maybe have heard this story, but John and his wife went to the New Hybrids Islands in the South Pacific. And as they first came to the island, they were the first white missionaries the natives had ever seen. The witch doctor in that village was afraid of them, and he told the tribe they were there to kill their babies. So on that first evening, the natives surround the missionaries' hut, preparing to kill them. All night long, John and his wife stayed on their knees in prayer, and the natives never attacked. As time went on, they learned the language, they won the trust of the people, many of them came to know Christ. The tribe's chief <clears throat> became a Christian, and so John asked him, we've always wondered <clears throat> on the first night when you surrounded us, why you never attacked? You had spears, but yet you never came after us. And the chief said this, where did you get all those men? John says, it was only me and my wife. But the chief said, oh no, all evening we saw large men with swords in their hands surrounding your hut and we were afraid so we never attacked. Angels, there are so many times we've heard stories from missionaries that report similar instances of God intervening and sending angelic beings to, to ward off some type of attack. Some people say, well man, I wish I saw an angel in my life. Well, start doing something like John and his wife, sharing the gospel with someone, and you're gonna get yourself in a situation where you need protection. But may, many of us live our lives and we really don't need protection other than our own craziness because we drive too fast or do other ridiculous things. And so, but God isn't in the, maybe the business of dispatching his angels for our frivolousness, as we'll talk about in Psalm 91, but for those that are doing his work. And so we see things like that. So Hebrews chapter one, look at what he says. The first thing he says is Jesus's name is greater than any of the angels. Now, you and I might sit here and think, well, so what? I mean, they're arguing about whose name is greater, but you have to understand in scripture, um, and for the Jewish people, the name meant everything. I mean, the, the closest similarity that you and I would have is if we were maybe, <clears throat> excuse me, 
if we were invited to a party and we were at the door and we couldn't get in, we would say the name of someone inside the party, that's our friend, we'd be name dropping. I mean, that, that would give us access, if you will. And so by saying his name is greater, maybe for us understanding that you know, name dropping, the access that we have through that name is what they're really talking about. Acts chapter four, verse 12, Peter shed some light on it when he says there's salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Uh, you're not saved by Michael. You're not saved by Gabriel. You're not saved by any angelic visit you've ever had. You are saved only by the name of Jesus. And so when you are in trouble, uh, you know, I, I laugh because if you've seen It's a Wonderful Life, when, when uh, Clarence is in trouble, he cries out, oh, Joseph, save me. If you're ever in trouble, don't cry out to Joseph or Mary or Gabriel or Michael. Call on the name of Jesus because he's the only name that can bring you salvation. Okay, the, he's the one that dispatches angels, not you and I. Okay, we can't ask them to do our bidding. We ask him and he sends them to do his bidding. So his name is greater. Then he tells us in verse six that he alone is worthy of worship. Again, we, you know, there are some teachings today that you know, take angelic visitors and they, they escalate them. You know, the Mormons themselves teach that Jesus was like an angel. They, they worship angels in some of their teachings and some of their doctrine. But there's not a lot of angel worship in the Christian church or the Christian realm. There may be in some far, far right or far left groups on the fringes. But there's not a lot of that. But there can be an overemphasis on angels. You know, it's nice that we know what the Bible says about them. It's nice that we know that they're on the earth, and we'll talk about why that's important for us, but we cannot overemphasize them or their manifestations. Um, don't talk about the, the, the encounter you had with angels when you talk to people. Talk about Jesus, because Jesus is greater, and he's the only one worthy of worship. You're going to hear me say it until you get sick of it or until you believe it. Jesus is better, Jesus is greater. Then in verses 8 and 9 and verses 11 and 12, he talks about Jesus being eternal. Now really, again, the writer is just going through why Jesus is better than angels. When it says that he's eternal, it means that Jesus had no beginning, he had no end. Angels were at one time created. They were not always in existence. The only, thing all, the only person ever always in existence was God. God created everything. And so angels do not have this eternal quality about them, and they are not self-existing. Again, the only thing that self-exists is God. Just again, pointing out to us that Jesus is better. Then he tells us, that, right alongside of that, that Jesus is the creator and the sustainer of all beings. Angels were created by him, they do his bidding, they are his servants, he's their boss, and so as wonderful and as majestic and as awesome as these creatures can be or these beings can be, they are nowhere near Jesus. He is far greater than any angel will ever be. We're reminded of that when those that fell wanted to be like him. Okay, apparently Jesus isn't just a little better than angels because Satan and those that fell with him wanted to be like him. 
So there was enough of a gap that they wanted to close that gap. And God said, no. I mean, how ridiculous to think that the creation could ever be the creator. But yet that's what Satan did, and that's sometimes what we do as he tempts us. And so the last one, verse 13, and we sang about this as we sang today that he will reign forever. God never said to any angel, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. You gotta understand, when Jesus gave his life willingly on the cross, his enemies, the enemies of God, were done away with. There was victory over every enemy of God forever. Now, he's sitting down at the right hand of the Father until God says the time has come for it to be ended, and then all of those enemies will once and forever be done away with. The scripture teaches us that Satan, the demons, death, hell, all of it will be cast aside. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth and those who have put their faith in Christ will reign with him forever and ever. And all of these things, all of these enemies of God will exist in our world no more. They will continue to exist in the lake of fire that he created for the devil and all of his enemies forever and ever, but there will be no way that we will access them or they will access us, okay? His enemies will be made uh, under his footstool, if you will. So you might be sitting there being like, wow, that was really cool. I like knowing about angels. Or you might be sitting there thinking, so what? Here's so what, at least the so what I get. Verses 7 and 14 of Hebrews chapter 1 reminds us that God has these magnificent, powerful beings that he dispatches for us. When we're in trouble, he sends them to our aid. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was praying, uh, overwhelmed by the task at hand, angels came and ministered to him. Now, you know, here's the line. You know, is it the Holy Spirit in us ministering to us? Is it an angelic being that we don't see ministering to us? I don't know, but here's what I know. God is giving us everything we need to do what he's asked us to do. And no matter what situation of life I'm facing, Hebrews chapter one is just a, another resonating gong saying, I am for you, I am helping you, I am equipping you, I am dispatching a host, an army. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 22 says that there's thousands upon thousands upon thousands, innumerable numbers of angels that surround God ready to do his bidding. That's what is at our disposal when we need help. Okay, but we don't call on the angels. Psalm 91, he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. You will trample upon lions and cobras. You will crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. The Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, I will answer. When they call on me, I will answer. You know, it's interesting to me because Psalm 91 is what Satan used in the, gar or in the, the wilderness when he tempted Jesus, you remember? 
He said, you know, he took him up to the highest point and said, you know, throw yourself off. God will protect you. He says right here in his word, right here in his word, just you're not going to hurt yourself. He's not going to allow you to be harmed. And Jesus says, it's also written, don't put the Lord your God to a test. See, some people say, well, you know, I can be careless with how I live. I can be frivolous with how I live and uh, God will protect me. That's the same temptation that Satan threw at Jesus. God isn't talking about if you just, you know, do stupid stuff for the sake of stupid stuff, just to entertain yourself. Well, now I got your back. I mean, thank God he does protect us when we do stupid stuff, but we shouldn't put him to the test. What he's saying is, if you get yourself in a sticky situation because I've called you to do something or I've asked you to take a step of faith and you find yourself in something at obedience to my command, call on me and I'll send protection. I'll send help. Now, you remember, they're writing this to Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter one, they're writing this to the Hebrews who are being sawn in two. That's what we're told. They're being fed to lions. They're being put into the, the gladiator arena for sport. So where's Psalm 91 for those people? Well, let me just say this. Hebrews chapter 12 says, that great cloud of witnesses now surrounds the throne of Jesus and I bet not one single one of them, when they saw Jesus face to face, said, where were you? Sometimes it feels like he's not there. Sometimes it feels like we do cast our foot against a stone. And sometimes it feels like we step on a cobra and it bites us. But here's what I can assure you. In one moment, when you stand looking Jesus face to face, if you keep your trust in him, even in those moments, you will never have to say to him, where were you? Because you will know in a moment, he never left you. He never abandoned you. And that's the type of encouragement that the writer of Hebrews chapter one is trying to bestow upon this group of people. These people that are facing temptations and trials probably far greater than you and I. I don't know about what you're facing this week. Um, sometimes I face difficult things, but I've never been put into an arena with wild animals and tried to run for my life or protect myself in any way, shape, or form. So I'm facing hardships and difficulties as I'm sure many of you are, but I don't know that I'm facing what Hebrews chapter 1 people were facing, at least yet. Maybe someday we will. And so it would be good for us now to learn to put this kind of trust and faith in God, knowing that he is dispatching people to help us and to aid us and to be with us during this hardship. Not to mention, he sent his spirit, like we learned last week, to live inside of us, and that should be a deal breaker. I mean, think about it for a second. You and I, have the God who created the universe in the person of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Our neighbor does not. Shouldn't that be huge? Shouldn't it? I mean, sometimes I think we take the, the, the cross and we take what Jesus did for us as, you know, just a, a shortcut to get where we could have gotten on our own anyway. You know, God's just helping me get to where I could have gone, but he's just helping me get there faster. That's, he's getting you to places you could never get to on your own. I mean, that's the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in us. That's these angels that are being dispatched 
for us. And so Hebrews chapter one assures us that angels do exist. They're not a fairy tale. They're not a figment of our imagination. Uh, the modern day versions of them may be a little bit made up and a little bit far and we can be assured of what scripture teaches us is far more reliable than anything Hollywood teaches us. And so get your knowledge and understanding from this book and not from any other book. Uh, the powerful beings of God do his will. They carry out the Father's will. They do it on our behalf. And Jesus is greater. He's greater. The last verse I want to look at before we close is in Hebrews chapter 2. As I told you, next week we're going to go into this first warning that's given to us. And what, what he's doing in Hebrews chapter 2 is talking about the message that angels brought to the Old Testament saints and what the rejection of that message did. But he's reminding us right here at the beginning part of this that we have to listen carefully to the truth that we've heard or we may drift away from it. And he compares that with what happened to those who received the message by angels. And if what happened to them was their death or their destruction because they rejected that message, how much more should we be concerned if we drift away from the truth about Jesus? Don't drift away from it. So remember, they're facing hardship. They're facing difficulty. They're drifting. They're being tempted to drift away from their faith in Jesus. And he's saying to them, don't, don't you dare drift away. You may not understand it. You may not know what's going on. You may not be able to make sense of your circumstance right now, but rest assured Jesus is greater and you keep your eyes fixed on him and do not drift away from that truth because there's nothing out there better. Nothing. And that's what we'll look at as we talk next week. Because for those of us today that are here Maybe we're not in danger of worshiping angels and maybe we're not in danger of overemphasizing angels, but we are in danger of drifting from truth. Every one of us in this room, every single one of us has the potential to drift away from the truth we've heard and the difficulties that we face, and the things that other people do to us, and the, the realities of life sometimes cause us to drift away if we do not pay attention or listen very carefully. And he's not just talking about listening like this. If you remember at the beginning of our worship service when I told you about the disciples, when Jesus opened their mind to the scriptures, for three years, Jesus said these same things to them over and over and over and over again. But it wasn't until this one moment that they finally heard what he was saying. Some of you have heard this book over and over. You, you have heard scriptures quoted to you for 50, 60, 70 years, but you've never really heard it. You've never listened to it. See, this book isn't just information for us to store in our brain and process. This, this information is meant to lead us to a personal experience, encounter with a living God who can make that word come alive in our hearts. I don't care if you memorized it as a child and you can rehearse it and you can speak it out. If, he's, if it's never really resonated within your spirit, 
These things, I hope I didn't just give you information about who angels are and what they do. I hope that that's whet your appetite to encounter the God of heaven's angels, heaven's armies. Because otherwise it's just information. I hope it's a transformation in your life. I hope that this whets your appetite for something more. Because I'm sure that there are some of us in this room today that are just tired. We're tired. And we're tempted to throw in the towel. We're tempted to say, you know, I don't know. You know, maybe there's something better. Maybe there's a truth out there that's better. Maybe there's something, something else I could try. Maybe I could just take another, a different pill. Maybe I could go to a different person. Maybe I could just, you know, buy something. Maybe, I mean, there's so many different things that we look to to try to, to do it. But Jesus is better. And he's the only thing that will ever work long-term in our lives. And so if you're at a place where you're tired, you know, information about angels isn't going to help you today. If you're ready to throw in the towel because you're surrounded by a host of armies that are pressing in on you, you don't need information about angels. You need to encounter the Lord of angels' armies so that your eyes can be opened and reminded. Something within you can just begin to unlock so that even when your circumstances don't change, you know that greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And he can bring that peace, that hope, and that joy into your heart. And so as we close our service today, that's how we're gonna close our service. We're gonna give you an opportunity, again, to encounter him. I hope I've presented some truth to you, some understanding for you that maybe uh, teaches you something that you didn't know before about angels, but uh, that's just a lot of facts. My hope today is that before you leave here, you come to know the one who dispatches angels in a more real way than you've known him before. And so I'm gonna invite you to stand with me. As we close in prayer, I'm gonna invite our prayer team to come back as we close. And I'm gonna pray a blessing over you that are here. And uh, we're gonna dismiss you in just a moment and give you a chance if you need to leave, to leave. But if you wanna be prayed for, if there's something that you're experiencing and you just say, I wanna encounter the God of the Bible. There's nothing more special about the people that are up here than any other person, but they're willing to be conduits today that the, the, the Lord can work through to minister to you. Maybe you wanna pray by yourself. We give you that opportunity. The altars will be open if you wanna come and find a place of prayer. If you wanna kneel at your pew and pray or just sit quietly. But I'd encourage you before you leave not to just be content with the facts about angels, but to have an encounter with the, with the God who dispatches those angels on your behalf. And so Father, thank you for the assurance, the promise, the hope that your, your word instills in our hearts today, knowing that you not only sent your son, knowing that today you still dispatch angels on our behalf, that when we find ourselves in difficulty, if we will call on you, you will dispatch these beings, you will dispatch these powerful forces to come and to aid us, to strengthen us, to help us. And God, ultimately, it doesn't matter how you strengthen us. It doesn't matter whether it's your spirit that's strengthening us or an angelic visitor that's strengthening us. We know it's because of the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for us. It's because of our relationship with you that we can find strength, that we can find power that we could never find apart from you. We can find healing, we can find hope, we can find provision that we cannot find apart from calling on you. And so today, thank you for reminding us, 
reminding us that you, you have dispatched all of this. You've put all of this at work in our lives. God, thank you that you are indeed at work in us today. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would minister to each and every person in this room, especially for those that find themselves like Elisha and his servant. God, penned in by all of the armies of hell. God, breathing down on them, looking like there's no way to turn. God, their emotions are in turmoil. Their physical body is in turmoil. Their, their circumstances, their finances are in turmoil. God, fear is beginning to cripple. Guilt is beginning to cripple. That maybe it was just my own decisions that put me into this mess. God, I pray open eyes today to see the vast resources that you have put around us. Open our eyes today to see what the death of Jesus, what the resurrection of Jesus has truly opened for us today. I pray that people that are here today, we would hear scriptures that we've heard dozens of times, thousands of times, but they would begin to resonate in our spirits like never before. Holy Spirit, breathe on your word today to cause it to resonate in our hearts like never before. Holy Spirit, cause it to come alive in us, I pray. So for Lord, for those of us that need to be dismissed, I pray that as we leave from this place that you would bless, God, that you would keep us. As your word says that you would protect us and help us through this week. And above all, Holy Spirit, help us to keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus. Help that truth to resonate in our hearts through this week that Jesus is better than anything else. Let it ring in our hearts, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, if you need to be dismissed, just do it quietly. Let this be a place of prayer for those that want to spend some time in prayer. If you want prayer, our prayer team is here for you. We'd love the opportunity to pray with you before you leave. God bless you as you go.